Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 446 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to uh, continue this process uh, of doing Stock Market Mondays. I'm really excited about this one, uh, specifically because a lot has happened in the past week. And if you've been paying any type of attention, uh, I'm sure you will not be surprised as to what you, what we will be talking about today. Uh, there were some very big things that happened in the market, and I just want to um, you know sit and talk about what those were and uh, what they look like, and then talk about some more general things as well, because there are some very specific things uh, that occurred. But uh, nonetheless, I just want to keep us all up to date, knowing what's going on, and uh, that way you guys and uh, myself can you know talk a bit more, whether it's in the comments or um, whether you ask me questions directly as to hey, what's going on. Um, you know, what should I be thinking when it comes to markets right now, or uh, just more interesting questions, which I'm sure there will be some about the things that we talk about today. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions, and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, the first thing I want to talk about today, just so we can get it out of the way, is the thing that has been um, pondered and pontificated over uh, at ad nauseum all week, right? It's just been, you know, beaten to death, but uh, I haven't talked about it. So, uh, of course, I want to talk about it with you guys, and that is the whole Elon Musk Twitter uh, situation. I mean, how could you uh, not talk about this if you're following markets at all right now? And, um, I mean, it's pretty remarkable what uh, he is attempting to do, but the question is, one, will he be able to do it in the first place? Um, it's already looking like probably not in the way that he had hoped. Uh, and then two, you know, what uh, could be the outcome for shareholders and uh, for the market at large? How does this uh, impact things? So we'll just dive right in. So if you didn't know, uh, Elon Musk offered to buy all of Twitter this week, right? So the big news uh, previously was like he picked up, you know, over 9% of the company's stock, which is a substantial portion uh, of uh, any company's stock to take on, right? Owning 9% of a company um, is, you know, pretty substantial, especially when you're talking about a company that's worth tens of billions of dollars. Now, what he did this week was he offered to buy Twitter uh, for $54.20 per share. Now you're saying, okay, uh, that doesn't mean anything. And if you guys know anything about share prices, that doesn't mean anything, right? Um, share prices literally just mean uh, how much a company is worth in the market per share outstanding, right? So having a you know $54 stock price versus a you know $50,000 stock price makes no difference. The only thing that makes any difference is that stock price times uh, the number of shares outstanding. So stock price really doesn't matter, but um, except for when you're talking about the market cap at large. So he is looking to buy the company at a market cap of around $43 billion, uh, when currently they're trading uh, at about 
billion dollars. So it's a substantial premium over uh, what shareholders are currently uh, getting. So this is this is very interesting. This is uh, something that everyone has talked uh, quite a bit about, and I'm glad that uh, you know a couple things got digested and kind of played out before I talked about this at all. Uh, because if I just came and told you that uh, he offered to buy Twitter, that's kind of boring, right? Uh, but some other things uh, have occurred. Now, um, I just want to read you some things that that he said um, in the letter that he wrote to. Uh, the chairman of the board in a securities filing, he said, I invested in Twitter uh, as I believe in its potential to be the platform for, for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. Um, let's see. He also said uh, that he wanted to take them public. And he said that uh, Twitter has plenty of um, potential and that he would unlock that potential, which is all very enticing, very interesting, very, very crazy. Now, the reason I think that we all think it's crazy is because it's one man, right? And one man trying to purchase um, an entire company. Like, that's that's outrageous uh, in our minds. But uh, with a man like him who's got uh, a net worth of, you know, 300 plus billion dollars, 43 billion is, you know, a little over 10%, 10, 15% uh, percent of his net worth. I mean, it's not so substantial, especially when you're buying another large tech company. Um, so what does this mean? What, why does this matter? Why is this uh, particularly interesting? Well, what we learned a lot about this week was how this type of uh, takeover, uh, how this type of acquisition technique actually works, because rarely do we see it. Rarely do we see uh, a billionaire decide, hey, I'm just going to buy all of this myself. Right? And if we do, it's not a company as high profile as Twitter. Uh, so Elon going after Twitter becomes very interesting. And we saw Twitter's board uh, decide on Friday that they were going to enact something that I don't think a lot of people know what it is. Right, They put in place um, a shareholder rights plan or what is also better known as the poison pill. Now, uh, poison pills come in many different forms. Okay, um, But basically what a poison pill is, is it is this um, anti-takeover provision, right? It is this provision uh, that companies can can put in place at any time, right? They, they don't just get to, um, you know, put it in place after the fact, uh, and they don't have to have it in place forever. But this would be the exact type of situation where a poison pill can become useful. Uh, because after Elon put in his offer, uh, the board got together and enacted this poison pill, basically saying, uh, we don't want you to buy up all of the stock, um, and basically saying, we're probably going to reject your offer. And uh, this poison pill, uh, like many others, uh, is in place to keep Elon from buying so many shares, so, to keep Elon from buying uh, over a certain percentage of the company stock. In this particular instance, it's over 15% of the company stock. If they buy, uh, if any shareholder, but specifically Elon, if you were to buy uh, more than 15% of the company stock, then they would allow all other shareholders to buy the company stock at a discount and not let Elon buy anymore. So it would dilute Elon's position and not let him take over um, the power that he wants to, right? It'd make it far more difficult for him uh, to gain all of the leverage that he wants to gain in order to um, take over the company. Now, some poison pills, not this one specifically, but some poison pills have, um, you know, these, you know, rights 
in place where uh, if you get over a certain percentage of the stock, then it'll uh, just turn into a natural uh, share offering to uh, these other shareholders where they don't have to buy anything. They just immediately uh, issue new shares to those shareholders. Now it dilutes uh, everybody, but it specifically dilutes the individual or the company, uh, the institution that is trying to take over uh, whatever the firm is. So they put this in place, right? Twitter puts this in place this week, uh, which is super interesting because um, again, we just don't talk about them much. We don't know what they are. Um, not we, as in myself, but most people don't know what they are, don't know how they uh, are used. So it's interesting to actually see this uh, come into play. So this is undoubtedly going to deter Elon in some way and is likely going to be used uh, in the rejection of uh, his offer to try to thwart his, his plan B in any way. And then the question is, what's plan B? And my guess is um, is that it's going to go into some type of proxy war, right? Where you have shareholders who get to vote uh, for the, you know, controlling interest of the company. And most shareholders typically um, proxy their votes to like the, the CEO or uh, somebody on the board, the chairman of the board, whatever. Uh, but it's likely that Elon would go about trying to get shareholders to proxy their votes to him. Um, which I don't know if that would be successful or not, but it may be something uh, that he attempted to do in taking over. Uh, and this has even gotten more interesting because uh, there's one report out that even talks about uh, how a private equity firm has already come into Twitter um, since, you know, they don't seem open to Elon, but maybe they're more open um, to takeovers from elsewhere or companies who are willing to pay higher premiums uh, than Elon was. So a private equity company came in and said, hey, we'll take you private for uh, and another amount, I don't uh, remember what the amount was uh, that they um, you know, brought to the table or even if it was disclosed, but uh, nonetheless, uh, this is not going to be just a uh, one-man offering to try to take over Twitter. There, there are no doubt going to be other companies uh, in the mix. Not to mention Mark Cuban, which many of us know and love from uh, Shark Tank and owning the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, you know, he tweeted talking about how Google and Facebook and other big tech companies are no doubt talking to their uh, antitrust lawyers, talking about, hey, can we get in on this? Because they have um, you know far more uh, available. Well, I would say you know far more, but um, you know it's all relative when you get up there in the hundreds of billions. But they have more uh, you know resources available to them than does Elon. Uh, and if they could take over Twitter, that might be something that's more organic, uh, but it may totally thwart the um, ideology that Elon had when he was like, you know, hey, free speech needs to be a big deal and all this type of stuff, right? So we can learn a lot from this. It has by no means been resolved. Um, it's by no means over, but we can learn a lot from this as far as how the market works, how these takeover attempts work, um, how the richest man in the world thinks, um, you know, how other companies react uh, to these types of actions that are taken. But it's all very interesting. And um, what's all the more interesting, I think, um, is you know if you would have invested in Twitter a month ago, uh, you'd be up 20% for really no other reason than the fact that Elon uh, invested. I mean, from the day before we knew that Elon invested to the close uh, that next, I guess it was a Monday, um, the stock was up over 27%, right? Now, the interesting thing about Twitter, though, is that if you go back to their IPO back in 2013 and just go all the way to today, the stock's up 8%. And if you just back up, I mean, a month, right, the stock would be would have been down 20% from its IPO. So this is a stock that's, you know, by and large traded sideways uh, for most of its life. And um, I don't know, 
a good investment. I don't necessarily know at this point. I I would um, I'm not invested in it. I'm you know steering clear uh, from all the mayhem. I mean, obviously, if you were invested pre Elon or uh, if you were invested pre pandemic, I mean, if you were invested pre pandemic, you're up almost a hundred percent at this point. But I mean, to have you know that kind of hindsight. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's not. Um, you know, predictive. I mean, we can't look back and see what happened and then predict the future uh, with a great deal of certainty. So, uh, nonetheless, this is um, what's going on with this company, with this company that uh, many of us know quite a bit about and have uh, interacted on uh, the platform and all these different types of things. So, just wanted to go over that real quick. Now we can jump into some other broader market uh, type things. Now, if we just look back at this past week, um, I mean, this past week, the market down the S&P, uh, down 2.26%. Uh, the NASDAQ on the week uh, down 3.47%. Uh, so it wasn't a fantastic week uh, for financial markets. Um, I mean, there's still headwinds that are just right square in our face that have not gone away and don't seem to be going away uh, anytime soon. Obviously, the geopolitical things are still going on, but we talked about a couple weeks ago how uh, even geopolitical things don't don't tend to just hold markets back uh, long term. We tend to shake those things off pretty easily. Uh, even though it's a potential headwind, I think markets are still far more interested uh, in the big things that are holding us back, being inflation, uh, you know, prices, interest rates, the Fed, all these types of things, right? Uh, because the Fed has made it very clear, first of all, that they are going to um, start shrinking their balance sheet pretty aggressively relative uh, to what was expected, you know, even months ago. And so um, this is going to have a very substantial impact on uh, firms' costs of capital and their uh, ability to raise money uh, easily and cheaply. Uh, and so it's going to get uh, far more difficult um, on a relative basis, right? Some companies are always going to be able to borrow or always going to be able to uh, raise capital quite easily, uh, but not um, as you know relatively easy as it has been uh, in the recent past. But um, all that's driven by this inflation that we have been having. So um, prices in March, right? We got the inflation reading this past week. Uh, up eight and a half percent in March compared to 2021, uh, and you know the headlines driven by energy costs partially true, right? Um, I mean the White House has come out and they're calling it you know the Putin price hike, and I mean I I don't give this a whole lot of um, validity, uh, specifically because prices were on a you know steep upward trend even before uh, there was any you know Putin issue. Right, maybe they're saying, "Oh, it would have peaked earlier." Could that be true? Potentially, uh, but ultimately, the um, ability for uh, you know Putin to have that type of impact on prices is um, you know not quite as substantial as we may think. I mean, we can even look at uh, gas prices as recently as the past few weeks and compare those to you know a month, a month and a half ago when all this stuff started kicking off. I mean. I don't know about where you are, but gas prices have, I mean, seem to. I kind of watch and see, uh, you know, what prices are doing. Uh, they peaked where I'm at in Texas. They, they seem to peak around $4.09, $4.10, somewhere around there, $4.15. Um, and now we're back down into the $3.40. So substantial uh, declines in energy costs, especially in the past uh, few weeks on the oil front, right? So um, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as calling it the Putin price hike. Um, but I would say that you look at these numbers, 
Um, and prices have hiked, no matter whose fault it is, right? Uh, prices have absolutely uh, skyrocketed upwards. So um, just to give you a little bit of perspective, right? You, if you backed up to, um, I mean, this is, um, you know, this most recent reading was from March. Uh, so this year, March of 2020, uh, inflation was at 1.5%. Uh, we're sitting here two years later uh, with a 7% uh, difference from uh, that particular month. So uh, inflation year over year was 8.5%. Um, inflation has not been this high, let's see, since 1981, December of 1981. I believe that's um, what I'm seeing on this chart here. So uh, December of 1981. So this is really unprecedented for most people uh, who are, you know, in their 30s, you know, even 40s, maybe even 50s, right? Because I mean, in 1981, people in their 40s were just little kids. We didn't know, um, you know, anything because people my age weren't alive yet, right? But people in their 40s, people in their 30s, um, you know, the 30s weren't alive yet, but people in their 40s, they were little kids. They hadn't really dealt with this type of inflation yet either. So this is just uncharted territory, right? And um, in the same way that it's uncharted territory for us, it is also uncharted territory for companies and uncharted territory for uh, the Fed. Because even these older individuals who have worked in the Fed for a long time, um, I mean, we're talking 40 years ago uh, that inflation was as high. So, um, I mean, Many of them weren't working in the Fed 40 years ago. Some of them weren't, you know, working really at all 40 years ago uh, or doing anything, you know, of this substantial, um, you know, magnitude of having to deal with the nation's inflation, right? Um, so this is just, it's all brand new. It's all uh, very difficult uh, to see. And and I talked about, you know, the the companies that are, are being hit hard by this. Um, it's not just the CPI. When we talk about inflation, typically we talk about the CPI, which is the uh, consumer price index, right? It is uh, what we are paying for this basket of goods and services. Uh, but the uh, suppliers, uh, the producers, uh, they have also uh, seen higher prices as well. So the PPI, the producer price index, uh, which measures the prices paid by wholesalers, increased 11.2% from a year ago. So what do we see? We see that, uh, yes, consumer prices have increased, but they have not increased, um, you know, at the rate that the, the prices of uh, the producers have uh, increased. So we're actually not feeling the full brunt uh, of the price increase, right? There's actually, um, you know, a little less there uh, on the price increase than um, we had seen previously. So this is also very interesting. So stripping out food, energy, and trade services, uh, the PPI, Producer uh, Price Index, rose 0.9% on a monthly basis, nearly double the 0.5 estimate, uh, and the biggest monthly gain since January 2021. Uh, core PPI increased 7% on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, and PPI is considered a forward-looking inflation measure as it tracks prices in the pipeline for goods and services that eventually reach consumers. So what this is saying uh, is that the prices that these producers have paid that they will likely push right on to consumers uh, in the near future uh, is quite high, right? It's higher than the CPI number. So uh, those who have said that inflation has peaked um, may not be right on track, right? May not be, um, you know, exactly correct. They may be correct. You know, who knows? I've told you guys before, forecasting these types of things is very, very difficult, very difficult to determine um, if things are just, you know, at their peak or not when it comes to uh, these macroeconomic factors. But nonetheless, uh, inflation is a real deal. 
And it's even, you know, more real when you talk about, okay, well, you know, the Fed's talking about raising interest rates and not just raising them at the rate that they just did, a quarter percent, but talking about, you know, multiple half a percent uh, increases, which we already see reflected in uh, mortgage rates, which we are seeing reflected in uh, the rates on many other loans and, you know, treasury bonds and all those types of things. Um, so in all aspects, uh, we're seeing some very, very strong headwinds uh, to the growth of our economy. Now, what's that going to do uh, to the stock market? Well, it becomes pretty hard to tell. Like, you know, one, is the, is the Fed just going to be way, way too late uh, and this is going to get out of control? We don't know that yet, right? Um, or is the Fed going to do enough, right? And uh, is, is everything going to be okay? Again, hard to tell. Who knows? But I'll tell you this, uh, if you go back and you look at the S&P 500 uh, in 1982, now I know 1981 was the last time we had uh, inflation this high, but let me look back at this chart. Uh, even throughout 1982, we're talking uh, inflation that was over 4% uh, for much of that year. If you go from 1982, um, and all the chart goes back as April 23rd of 1982, uh, and you go, let's see, to the, I, I don't know, let's go five years, right? So we can go April of 1987, right? You go, or let's say May 1st, 1987. The stock market was up 142.78% from April 23rd, 1982 to May 1st, 1987. So if we get 142.78% between now uh, and what, 2027, uh, April of 2027, uh, I think we'd all be thrilled with those types of returns. So just know uh, that high inflation and the back end of high inflation doesn't always lead to um, just horrendous, you know, prices on the other side on the other side for assets. Right? Um, is it going to have a, a very real impact on bonds? Sure. Is it going to have an impact on your budget and your ability to buy things? Uh, sure, because wages aren't growing as fast uh, as the price of goods and services is. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, being invested, this is a stock market Monday, right? Not a uh, pocketbook budget Monday, even though I, you know, I talk about those things all the time. Investing is probably not going to be far different uh, than it has been. Now, is that to say that we're going to make gains every year and we're going to be growing at, you know, 15, 20% a year, kind of like we have been in the recent past? Probably not. Um, but does it mean that we can't continue to grow uh, in a substantial way? I, I don't think so. Um, I think that we absolutely could continue to grow. Uh, and there's always a reason to be bullish. I mean, the past always gives us very, very, very good reason to be bullish. I mean, uh, there's a reason that I talk about investing in the stock market so much because I believe in it, because I believe that that is, you know, the best way uh, for the vast majority of people to go about growing their wealth uh, substantially. So, I teach this all the time. I tell you guys this all the time. And it's not just me blowing smoke. It's absolutely um, me telling you what I do, how I think, and ultimately trying to you know provide some confidence for you, right? Trying to provide you uh, with this good sense of the fact that, hey, even if, you know, the market's down, even if, I mean, because it's not like, you know, markets are hitting all-time highs. I mean, we, how quickly we forget uh, that, you know, it's been a while since we hit an all-time high. You go, uh, for the S&P 500, I mean, we hit our all-time high back uh, in late December. And from there, I mean, still down eight plus percent. I mean, you go and you look at, you know, the the NASDAQ. Uh, when was the last time the, the NASDAQ was at an all-time high? The NASDAQ was at an all-time high. Let's see this chart. Um, 
think it was a little higher back in late November than it was in December. But uh, I mean, even from that peak, the NASDAQ being down nearly 17%, I mean, we're talking some pretty substantial pullbacks from highs. Um, and yet that is pricing in a lot of this negativity, pricing in a lot of these bad things. And guess what? If you took prices today and you went backwards five years or backwards 10 years, those average stock prices are still going to be substantially better uh, than average, substantially better than what we are used to uh, as investors. I'm not saying we, because I've, you know, I've been spoiled as I'm a younger investor and many of you are as well. Uh, you're spoiled by these amazing asset prices that you've seen. Uh, but over a long uh, period of time, you go backwards, you ask people who are in their 40s or in their 50s who've been investing, ask them about the last five or 10 years, and they'll probably tell you that it's been some of the best years of investing uh, that they have ever had, and they would not be lying to you, right? Um, so my whole point of these Stock Market Mondays is not only to tell you what's happening, right? Tell you about Elon Musk and Twitter and poison pills and all the, all the rest, right? or to talk to you about what inflation currently is or what it may be in the future or whatever. I just want to give you the confidence to invest, right? I want you to know that inflation is not too much. Um, I mean, you know, billionaires taking, you know, stabs at these other big companies is, you know, not too much to invest through. Um, you know, the, the war in, in Ukraine is not too much uh, to invest through. So I just know that even though there are headwinds, even though there are things that are negative, I am extremely positive. And I, you know, I think that, you know, even if the market were flat for the next 10 years, I mean, I'm still investing and you should be too. And we learned that, right? That's a, a lesson that we have learned uh, in the past. If you just go back and I know I look at charts sometimes and I don't give them to you guys and I apologize for that, right? Um, but just do a little work on your own. If you go back to July of 2000, right? And you just take the S&P 500 uh, from July of 2000 to May 25th of 2007, do you know what the rate of return would have been? The total cumulative return on the S&P 500 would have been 0.38%. 0.38% almost seven years later, right? But guess what? If you kept investing, yeah, you would have kept investing through a financial crisis that would have taken you down over 50%, right? But if you take that out to today, so we're sitting here almost 22 years later, uh, you're looking at 190.9% return from the top of the, tech, of the tech bubble, right? From the top, um, right before it all crashed, right? And so if you just took that and what did I say, 190 uh, and divided that by 22. So we're talking about from a top to basically a top, right? We're, we're kind of close to a top at this point, given that we're only uh, a couple months out. So 190 divided by 22. I mean, that's on average 8.636% per year, which is, I mean, that's what you can ask for over a long period of time from the market and it will provide it, right? Uh, so don't even get me into, you know, going from bottoms or going from the bottom of the financial crisis or the bottom of the tech boom to today. The whole point is invest and keep investing in the good, in the bad, keep investing. If you think that things are bad right now, keep investing. If you think things are good right now, keep investing, right? Um, but look at your risk tolerances, look at what you uh, should do as an investor, look at what your asset allocation should be as an investor and follow that and just keep pouring money in, keep pouring money in, buying index funds, buying diversified mutual funds, ETFs, all those types of things, and you will build wealth over a long period of time, 
right? You will become uh, more wealthy. There's a reason why I gave you guys the what is the stock market uh, for Stock Market Monday last week because I want you to know what the stock market is. I want you to be uh, better uh, informed, more well-versed in uh, these topics because I don't want you to have all this uncertainty about investing in the markets and just waiting and waiting and waiting until you learn and then you never learn and you fall behind and you never trusted it and all these types of things. I want you to trust it because of what it has done in the past, right? That's the only reason that we trust other people. We trust other people because of what they have done in the past. So if you learn what the market has done in the past, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be able to trust it for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your investing life. So I'll get off my soapbox, but hopefully uh, this gives you some confidence to go invest, do, do what's right for your money and for yourself over a long period of time. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. Then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you're interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to the show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.